lives in a hut in the Dunsea. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Sarcastic and civilized and wise is he. Obi-Wan Kenobi. If stories and adventure is something you missed, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Then battle your brother and burn to a crisp. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hello there. Welcome to the Star Wars Skinny, where we give you the skinny on all things Star Wars right after we get skinny. It is just me today, and uh, I didn't really get skinny. I did go to work, like, into the office every day this week. Five days, lots of flights of stairs. Uh, these are your foot. <laughs> these are your first steps. Um, so yeah, lots of steps. I'm counting that as uh, getting skinny for this episode. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, we've got the show coming in May, so I'm going to start my Obi-Wan train uh, now. So get on board. This first episode will be all about the comics that feature Obi-Wan and his master Qui-Gon Jinn. So a lot of the, the Phantom Menace era uh, comic content. A lot of comics were issued when the movie came out in 1999, uh, but we've still gotten a lot of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan content over the years, and we're going to be getting more this year. Uh, with the new Marvel uh, Obi-Wan miniseries, so hopefully I'll have more to add. We'll get the Padawan book as well, another adventure from when uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon uh, before Master and Apprentice, before The Phantom Menace, so that will be super exciting. But yeah, I wanted to hammer down what have the Star Wars comics said about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon to the state. So our first comic is just Star Wars Episode One. It's not really an adaptation of uh, The Phantom Menace, it's more of like Here's the Phantom Menace from Obi-Wan's point of view. It's pretty interesting. It was written by Henry Gilroy. Art was done by Martin Egeland, Howard M. Shum, Robert Taranishi, Chris Chukri, and lettered by Vicki Williams. Uh, there were two issues, one about Obi-Wan, one about Qui-Gon. Uh, the Obi-Wan one was really interesting. It was Yoda kind of quizzing Obi-Wan on the events of the Phantom Menace, like right before his big scene with Yoda where he says, uh, that they're going to knight him and agree with you, the council does. I do not about uh, training Anakin as a Jedi. Um, so Yoda starts, kneels before me an apprentice or kneels before me a Jedi? Learned much has this Padawan, but uh, learned enough has he to teach another. So Yoda's kind of hearing Obi-Wan's story and thinking like, does, does this guy have what it takes to train who could be the chosen one? Uh, big big uh, burden to carry. So we go through the events of the movie and Yoda's weighing the pros and cons. He's like, communion with the Force, that's good. Uh, oh, but he has a wandering mind, that's bad. The Force flows through him, that's good. He's a true warrior, but he's forgetful. He's careless with, with his weapon. Uh, apparently his weapon like shorted out and wouldn't turn on when they were swimming through Naboo. I don't remember if that was in the movie or not, but um, he admits his mistakes. That was a that was a pro. He uh, went to Qui-Gon and he apologized for it. This weapon is your life. Pro, he's a worthy ambassador for peace. Um, con, he's rebellious, just like his master. Pro, he's a leader. Pro, he's a natural pilot. Pro, he has no fear. It is the way of the Jedi. Um, that's one of my five Fs of Star Wars, fear. Uh, confronting fear is the, the destiny of a Jedi. Um, from my favorite trailer of all of Star Wars, the Rise of Skywalker trailer. It is not my favorite movie, but it's sure my favorite trailer. Pro, loyalty to a just cause. 
Pro, sensitive to the nature of the Force. Con, much to learn he has. And that's kind of how it ends. But he still goes through and says, okay, you can train the boy. I don't agree with this, but the Council, you know, you're, you're going to make a good Jedi, Obi-Wan. It's just, I still don't want you training this kid, but whatever. The Council wants you to do it. The next issue is Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, Gardula the Hutt approaches Watto after the race, after the pod race in episode one, and offers 50,000 credits to buy Anakin back. So Watto's like, uh, I just made a deal with Qui-Gon, but I gotta, I gotta get out of that so I can make some money. Watto hires a crocodile man uh, to steal Anakin back uh, on the way. So this is during the period where Qui-Gon and Padme and Jar Jar are riding EOPs back to the ship, but they don't have Anakin yet. Um, whatever, that's what Watto's up to. Uh, Jar Jar and Padme, they're hassling Qui-Gon for being unwilling to steal from Watto. Like, they could have just stolen this hyperdrive. Uh, but then he's still allowed a kid to pod race, so he's like, One of us gave him a reason to win. I advise you to consult a mirror, Padme. Like, what? He's, he's saying the kid wasn't going to die. He was sure that the kid was going to survive because he had a reason to win. Because Padme is beautiful? What? Maybe I'm reading that wrong, but I think we were supposed to, like, this came out in 1999, like, before Attack the Clones, before the big love story. I think we were supposed to ship Anakin and Padme after The Phantom Menace. I didn't get that. I, I thought, I, I felt like that was a very motherly relationship where it's little kid Anakin and she comes and gives him a blanket on the ship because he's cold and he's talking about how he misses his mother. I got that kind of vibe from The Phantom Menace, but I was, I mean, I'm clearly wrong because the prequel trilogy plays out differently but apparently we were meant to take away that uh there was a crush there when Qui-Gon returns for Anakin the crocodile man ambushes him uh, he learns that Watto was behind it Qui-Gon mind tricks two people including Sebulba um, on his way to Watto Watto eyes a blaster but he chooses wisely and uh just does what Qui-Gon says he deactivates Anakin's transmitter and gives him the boy Qui-Gon then gives away Anakin's pod to Sebulba right in front of Watto just to piss him off. Um, so Sebulba's got the fastest pod racer in the galaxy now, so we'll see what happens with that. And then we end on the deleted scene from The Phantom Menace where it's Anakin beating up Greedo. Um, I don't know if in the comic it's Greedo. It's not Wald, like his best friend Wald. <laughs> You're so funny, Anna. Uh, it's not It's not Wald, but I think in the deleted scene it was supposed to be Greedo, so I'm assuming in this comic it was supposed to be Greedo. But Anakin's beating up Greedo for saying that he cheated in the pod race and then Qui-Gon you know pulls him away and says fighting won't change his opinion like Qui-Gon would have been a very good mentor for Anakin but those are the two uh, companion pieces for the Phantom Menace um, I think both tell you a little bit about the character but I guess the Obi-Wan one was more about you know Yoda's reservations about Obi-Wan training Anakin but still some good stuff and there's a lot more on the way of more uh, Qui-Gon and Yoda and Obi-Wan content our next set of comics is in Star Wars Tales, which started in 1999. And Star Wars Tales, these are really fun, like, uh, not-so-serious comics. Like, they're probably not even... Well, they're not canon now because they're, they're old, but uh, they probably weren't part of continuity back in Legends either. They're kind of just one-off fun little stories. Uh, these Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon ones were pretty serious, uh, but there's some really goofy ones, like one centered around R5 um, from... A New Hope, the, the red droid that blows his uh, motivator, uh, and then R2 is picked to work on the moisture farm for Uncle Owen. Um, apparently he did it on purpose because he was a Jedi droid that knew that R2 was going to save the galaxy. Uh, there was also a story about 
Jar Jar Binks' father, George R. Binks, and he was like a, a ship captain. Yeah, yeah, they're straight goofy, but there's some, some gems in there. I mean, those are gems. Those are probably the most memorable and best stories of all of them, but um, there's also some serious content with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, our favorite master and apprentice duo. In the very first issue of Star Wars Tales, there was a story called Life, Death, and the Living Force. Um, it's Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Obi-Wan goes to pet a cute little baby face that's in a tree. Turns out to be a big bugger that just has like a baby face looking thing on its head. Really weird. Uh, Obi-Wan runs and then hides in the tree. The bugger like breaks its jaw trying to bite Obi-Wan through the tree. And then Qui-Gon scolds him like, you disrupted the circle of life on this planet. That thing now has a broken jaw because of you. Then Qui-Gon proceeds to introduce Obi-Wan to his pathetic life form of the week, a monkey in a hat that he caught in a trap, Mosco. Um, Mosco is not grateful and insults Qui-Gon the whole time. Uh, Obi-Wan's questioning him, like, why are you putting up with this? And Qui-Gon says he is giving us an opportunity to serve the living force without the remotest chance of reward. Um, then they get ambushed, and Obi-Wan's like, yeah, I told you. Qui-Gon's like, be here now. Like, stop focusing on the past, stop focusing on the future, like, be be here now in the living force, which is a big theme with Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationship. We hear it, like, in their first bits of dialogue in The Phantom Menace, because uh, Obi-Wan says something like, oh, well, Master Yoda says I should be mindful of the future, and then Qui-Gon says, not at the expense of the moment. Qui-Gon then kills the attackers, the same species as the monkey that he just rescued, then Obi-Wan questions him, like, how did you show kindness earlier? And save this guy, but then you didn't show any remorse killing his friends. And then Qui-Gon says, My actions are determined by the will of the living force. I fed that poor little brute because he was hungry. I killed him because if he killed me, I would no longer be able to do my work as a Jedi. When the force tells me the time has come, I will die willingly. Like, he is all about doing what the force says. So he's very in tune with the force. That's kind of what I'm getting from the whole living force thing. It's like, he's just going where the force guides him. He's He's your perfect space hippie. They then find a sacrificial altar to one of the primordial creatures of the dark side, and Qui-Gon felt called to kill it. So he's not Mr. Peaceful, like, they just called him a hippie, but like, he's he's going where the Force calls him. If the Force says kill this creature, this defenseless creature, he's going to do it. So they, they did it, they, they killed the creature. Obi-Wan said it felt awful to take such a large life, and Qui-Gon says, yeah, it was unpleasant for me too. The ways of the living force are beyond our understanding. We only serve. As a Jedi Knight, you will be called to do many things that you don't want to do. And uh, Obi-Wan sure does do things that he doesn't want to do. He has Anakin spy on the Chancellor, kills Anakin, he kills his brother. Uh, it really puts a lot of meaning behind when he says, I will do what I must. That's something that Qui-Gon says in The Phantom Menace. And then we hear it throughout these comics with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, and then we hear it in... Um, Revenge of the Sith when they're having their big battle it's Obi-Wan finally coming to the realization like I can't reason with Anakin anymore I I have to kill him I will do what I must like it's really sad but it's it's Obi-Wan following the will of the force like I need to put out this darkness for the good of the galaxy in the next Star Wars Tales in number 12 there or I guess that's not the next Star Wars Tales but in the next one that features Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon uh, we get Han stewing on the Falcon yeah, we're in the original trilogy timeline. Han is stewing the Falcon about how much heat Obi-Wan gave him. Like, all these TIE fighters after after they left Tatooine. And then Obi-Wan comes in, old Ben Kenobi comes in and tells him a story. Tells him about a time that he and Qui-Gon responded to a Jedi distress call. 
Uh, they, they find the Jedi, but then she's instantly killed by a Jedi assassin, Aura Singh, who is apparently Force-sensitive in these comics, which is really interesting. Um, she was, I think, just kind of a character that they put in the background of the Phantom Menace, like they had her watching the pod race, and then I think comic writers are like, oh, yeah, let's make her Force-sensitive, let's make her a Jedi killer, let's make it really cool. Uh, but then, like, when they actually used her, like... Uh, when George Lucas and Dave Filoni actually used her, like they used her as a bounty hunter in uh, the Clone Wars, um, not necessarily. Maybe it doesn't contradict that she was force sensitive, but I think Cad Bane is a Jedi killer, so bounty hunters can be Jedi killers. But um, we have not seen her use the force at all. Uh, we also know that she dies getting pushed off of a cliff by Tobias Beckett, um, so a, a Jedi is able to survive big falls. <clears throat> nice window. <clears throat> So they fight Aura Singh, it's Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, and then she flees with the Jedi's lightsaber. So she says, like, oh, I'll, this will be enough for my collection. So this this was in 2000, like, years before General Grievous debuted in uh, the Clone or the Clone Wars micro-series and then in live action in Revenge of the Sith. So cl- Jedi assassins that collect lightsabers, that's something that they've been thinking about for a while. Then we flash back to Han. Uh, Han says, Jedi don't die easily. Uh, Obi-Wan reveals that Oro, Oro Singh was once a Jedi. Um, anyway, y'all got training remotes? I gotta go train the boy. Um, so this all happened before the scene that we see on the Millennium Falcon of Obi-Wan training uh, Luke with the training remote. I don't know what the purpose of telling Han that story was. I didn't catch uh, catch like any big messages that would apply to a smuggler flying a uh, cargo freighter, but, you know, whatever. Comics. In issue number 14 of Star Wars Tales, uh, this one's called Mythology. This one's really interesting. This one is Qui-Gon asking Obi-Wan what he fears. And Obi-Wan says, disappointing you, Master. Qui-Gon says, a Jedi should not know anger, fear, hatred, or love. Especially love. Like, let go of your feelings, or they will be your undoing. And Obi-Wan says, but why? There is no why. <laughs> like, there is no try. There is no why. Very clever, Qui-Gon. Then Qui-Gon tells him a story. So I'm wondering, like... This story is going to be kind of about how like your emotions can dominate your your life and you shouldn't give in to anger, fear, hatred, or love, especially love. I wonder if this is like right after Obi-Wan had a crush on somebody. I mean, you never know. Like if he had a crush on somebody on one of their missions, maybe on Mandalore, um, Qui-Gon had to shut that down. In the story, this is when the Jedi Order was in its infancy. Jedi had to reach out with the Force to locate potential Jedi. They didn't have, like, the resources of the Republic behind them. Um, so think, like, Grogu in Mando Season 2. Like, he goes and sits on the seeing zone, and he just reaches out until he, like, connects with a Jedi. This Jedi, Shang Troy Thanabo, I'm not saying that again, felt a disturbance in the Force. Two beings, yet one. And they called for him. And he gets to this planet, he finds a pregnant mother... And then she gives birth to twins. One of them's, like, grabbing onto the other one's arm as they're born. They're, like, identical twins, but one has a scar from being gripped so tightly. And then these twins, they were more powerful together than separated. They shared a special bond stronger than any Jedi. They could anticipate each other's movements, read each other's thoughts. They equaled each other's skill. This is a forced dyad. Like, there wasn't a name for it in 1999, but... This this is a force dyad. This is this is just like what we saw with uh, Kylo and Rey, or Ben and Rey in uh, the Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker. Two that are one. Restore the one. 
true emperor. They don't do that in the story, though. Um, so what else? They were virtually identical, except one had the birthmark. Uh, and then, when he finally takes them out into the galaxy, he had been training them together, and they grew in the force together. And then this master takes them out into the galaxy. One of them fell in love. The other grew jealous and then tried to kiss the same girl, but then she saw his scar and flipped out. They both became filled with anger, fear. The master tried to stop them, but he got killed in the crossfire. Maybe you could think of this as, like, if this is the early Jedi, like, it's like the Cain and Abel story in the Bible. Like, the brothers, one of them has, like, a, a birthmark, like the mark of Cain, uh, and one of them... I guess in this case, they're both giving in to their anger and trying to kill each other. It's not one killing the other, but but similar in that it's brothers killing each other. I don't know. That's all I got. Great analysis coming from here, the Star Wars skinny. They fought until the planet exploded and became a bright star in the galaxy. So every time Qui-Gon sees the star, like he thinks of this story, and that's why he's telling it to Obi-Wan now. I don't know. Some say this is why Masters only have one Padawan, like so they don't have two and they become jealous of each other. I don't know. And also why intense feelings of both anger and love are forbidden. Passion clouds an otherwise balanced mind. One day you'll be a master. Remember, love is bad. Yada, yada, yada. Like, it kind of ends, like, in just the, the stereotypical Jedi. Don't form attachments. Don't love. Don't all that. Like, to, it's Qui-Gon saying it to Obi-Wan. Like, yep. Like, don't don't let Anakin fall to the dark side. You're going to have a bad one one day. It, it, it was kind of dumb, but. Next, we get the story called Last Stand on Ord Mantell. It's a... Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan original comic. This is a miniseries that lasts... Let's see how many issues. It's like at least three. Maybe four. I don't remember. Uh, it's written by writer Windham. Uh, he writes a lot of the um, the stories. Like there's one, there's an Obi-Wan one that I'll definitely cover before the Obi-Wan show, but it's like Obi-Wan's entire life. And it's just like a young reader's book. Darth Vader's entire life, young reader's book. That's what I know him from. So, So it was interesting to get like an original story from him. Uh, the art on this comic was done by Ramon Box, uh, Raul Fernandez, um, Bodhi Tree, lettered by Steve Dutro. Uh, there's this Baroness, she's marked for assassination and she rejects a Jedi escort. And Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan go undercover to protect her and they save her life from like this hypnotized Senate guard. They earn her respect and she lets them protect her while she's on Coruscant. Qui-Gon reveals that she mistrusts him because because her husband died under his care. He's suspicious that she might get herself killed to hurt his reputation. And Obi-Wan thinks she has a romantic interest in him, so Obi-Wan ships it. Um, so they then accompany the Baroness to a holographic zoo, a zoo she visited with her husband, and she calls it romantic. So Obi-Wan's like nudging Qui-Gon, like, oh, she says it's romantic. Uh, it's pretty cute. Uh, and then Chancellor Valorum busts in and says, that her son is like way off course from Coruscant, like she was going to meet her son on Coruscant. Uh, so then Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are like, okay, we'll go investigate, we'll get your son. On the way over there, Qui-Gon insists that they play Dejaric, the, the hollow chest that Chewbacca and C-3PO play on the, the Falcon. Uh, so they, they play that on the ride. Obi-Wan just wants to meditate, but Qui-Gon argues, we are meditating. You learn much about your opponent as well as yourself with every move. Nothing like a good game when you just want to relax, right? Uh, they find the Baron dead, and the monster from the Hollow Chest game is there. Um, or it, it, there was, yeah, no, I think they kill one. Like it, they they see like a cage broken open. Like looks like they were transporting these monsters, and the monster got out. Uh, they kill the monster and get clues that take them to Ord Mantell. I think that monster's from Ord Mantell. When they arrive on Ord Mantell, you can see like the 
the really cool like castle-like structures that you see in the Bad Batch because uh, Sid's bar uh, that they spend a lot of time on in that show is on Ord Mantell and Ord Mantell City. Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon don't ever have any Mantell mix though. That's the, the popcorn uh, that Omega really likes. Um, Obi-Wan grieves for the Fallen, uh, wonders if the universe would be better without the Savrips, the, the monster from the ship. And then Qui-Gon talks to him and says, contemplate your words. What did you just say? Like, the universe would be better without a race? Like, if only Qui-Gon was there for Anakin, because if Anakin had slaughtered all the Tuscans and um, told Qui-Gon about it, or I guess maybe then it'd be too late, but if, if Anakin was there and he said, yeah, the Tuscans, they kidnapped my mother, like, I think Qui-Gon might have been able to talk him down. Like, he's, he's good at, uh, he's very in touch with the... Obi-Wan later says, I spoke foolishly. I should have considered how they might regard humans and been sympathetic to them. Um, kind of a generic answer, like, yeah, I, I, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have talked like that. Um, then Qui-Gon, Jedi mind tricks a guy for a speeder. Um, see, like, every time we see Qui-Gon, he's Jedi mind tricking people. He's, it's ridiculous. And then he says, friendly fellow, wasn't he? And Obi-Wan's, like, sick of him at this point. And he's like, if you say so, Master, I should think that someone who is so sympathetic of all life forms might be a little more hesitant to achieve his goals by manipulating the minds of weak-minded beings. And Qui-Gon has a comeback. But it's like, yeah, like, Qui-Gon, he's always doing the mind trick. And I think that's kind of contrary to his character. Like, he's always, like, you know, he, he doesn't usually harm anybody. But I think it's just, like, the Force wants me to do something. You are in my way. Like, I'm going to make it happen using the Force. The Force is my tool. I am a tool of the Force. Like, I'm you're in my way on my mission, like, to help out the Force. So I'm going to mind trick you and get this done as fast as possible. That's why he tries to do it to Watto in The Phantom Menace. In the second issue, they find a moisture farm, and the farm is seemingly run by droids. Like, they walk in there, and droids, like, attack them. Turns out they're just security. There's a farmer and a farmer's daughter. They walk in and explain that they're just defending the farm. They need security because of a raider called Taxer Sundown. Taxer Sundown is a man who claims to be a Jedi. Um, so this kind of foreshadows Obi-Wan dealing with a protection scheme from raiders. That's basically what the Kenobi book is about his time on Tatooine. Like, all these moisture farmers are like, there's like protection racketeering going on. And it's like, because people are like faking Tuscan attacks. Like, it, it's a whole thing. Um, but this is kind of a mini version of that, which I thought was interesting. Again, well before... That book came out. The farmer's daughter then takes them in a speeder. Obi-Wan's questioning the legality of her modifications. And then she says, I also installed a sissy bar next to your seat. Feel free to use it. Obi-Wan does not flirt. Uh, he's Or he's not very good at it. Um, he's like saying, no, you're not allowed to have that. And she kind of makes fun of him. On the trip, they learn that the Savrips, the, the monster, uh, killed the farmer's wife. So the daughter's like, yeah, these things killed my mom. On the way, I'm going to slaughter some. There's some on their way to town. I'm going to start shooting at them. Qui-Gon lifts her hands without permission. Like, when she's driving the ship, he, like, removes her hands from the steering wheel and Obi-Wan pilots them out. The daughter, like, doesn't trust them anymore. In Orbantel, uh, they get kind of separated. They're ambushed by more hypnotized goons, this time with, like, training lightsabers. They were red. Uh, the daughter gets kidnapped. Obi-Wan feels responsible. He's worried that she's in danger, but Qui-Gon's like, no, you're too speculative. Focus on facts. So, like, Qui-Gon's a good detective. Like, he's... Again, always in the moment, always thinking about the moment. Um, they find the daughter's helmet in the wreckage, and Obi-Wan asks, what am I going to think now? Like, this clearly means she's dead. And Qui-Gon says that, you, that she could still be alive and that we will find her. So, I don't know if that means Qui-Gon's, like, an optimist, or if that means, like, there's no proof that she's dead just because we have a helmet here. Like, 
She could still be alive. I don't see a body. Let's go find her. In the third issue, uh, they attempt their rescue. Obi-Wan speeds off at sundown, like Anakin and Attack of the Clones. Duel of the Fates is playing, I'm sure. He's going to, like, kill some monsters. Oh, he's going back to the moisture farm. When he gets there, he duels with sundown a little bit. The, the, the guy pretending to be a Jedi, he escapes. Uh, Qui-Gon then rescues the daughter from the monsters, the Savrips. Uh, but he gets caught, and then he just turns off his saber and talks to them. And he learns that they were hunting for slavers. They don't kill innocents. Like, there are slavers on this planet that they're going to kill. Like, so the daughter this whole time has assumed that her mother was killed by these Savrips because she was torn apart. But it sounds like Taxer Sundown has been framing the Savrips all along. Uh, this, this fake Jedi has been framing these monsters. Probably even shouldn't call them monsters anymore. Like, they're probably the indigenous people of this planet, kind of like the Tusken Raiders on Tatooine. And Sundown attacks the Savrips and Qui-Gon while they're, like, scaling a wall. I'm not really sure what the goal of scaling the wall was, but uh, Obi-Wan rescues them. Uh, Sundown is... they rip off his hood and then realize that Sundown isn't a Jedi. He was hypnotized as well. Who would, could have been hypnotizing all these people? Uh, they somehow figure out that it was the Baroness behind it all. The Baron was, like, breeding Savrips to eat them, and one had break in, broken out, and that's how they all died on that ship. Uh, it ends by the Jedi confronting the Baroness. The Baroness hypnotized some more Savrips to attack them, uh, but Qui-Gon turns on the charms and offers to join her, and then he decapitates her. Like, I've had Qui-Gon pegged, like, all wrong. Like, I'm like, oh, he's just a peace-loving hippie floating through the stars. Like, no, he's a Jedi, and he's more in touch with the Force than anyone. Like, he knew that she was causing this race, the, the Savrips race, like, a lot of agony, and she was torturing them and eating them. And he's like, no, I'm decapitating you. Your life ends. You won't be slaving anymore. Like, the Force called me to end evil. He's very practical. Qui-Gon then explains the situation to the locals, to Chancellor Valorum, everybody, and then the farmer's daughter is kind of left to the planet, and she's like, okay, well, I'm going to reform society here, bring the the Savrips back into society. The Jedi fly off, and neither of them have the appetite to play any more Dejaric hollow chess. So my reaction to this as a whole, like, you have the clear parallel with Obi-Wan and the Savrips. Like, initially he's like, yeah, the world would be better if they weren't here. They're monsters. And you have Anakin and the Tuscans, like, I killed them, like monsters, or like animals, because they are animals. Um, but, like, very different outcomes, because one of them had Qui-Gon in their life. Um, and one of them had a lot of other things going for him. Like, Anakin had a lot going on. Like, I wouldn't say that they're perfect comparisons, but, um, yeah, it's just interesting connections. And this is before Attack of the Clones even came out. Also, the mind tricks, which, that's a trend through every Qui-Gon story is he's using Jedi mind tricks, so Obi-Wan doesn't agree with him using them, but he's quick to use it by episode four. That's the first time we see it, uh, like, these are not the droids you're looking for, like, these are not the droids you're looking for. Um, Obi-Wan is down to use it, like, he's very Qui-Gon by the time he gets to A New Hope, like, he's following the Force, like, he, the Force has called him to take care of these children, the Force called him to kill Anakin, the Force is calling him to take care of Luke. He's going to do it by any means necessary. I hope we get a lot of that in the Obi-Wan show, of him becoming more like Qui-Gon, um, kind of following the Force. Like I'm sure he'll be grieving a lot for the loss of Anakin, and having to see Anakin will bring up a lot of human feelings. But I also want to see like Obi-Wan become the man that we see in uh, Rebels, in the original trilogy, like the, the like pure Jedi, like the, 
the true meaning of what it means to be a Jedi, someone who follows the Force um, and you know is out for peace and justice for all. Our next comic is another Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan special. This one came out in 2002, so this is when Attack of the Clones is coming out, and we're still interested in Qui-Gon, so that's really fun. Uh, this one was called Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, the Orient Express, and it's spelt spacey. It's not like the Orient Express uh, in pop culture uh, in, on Earth, but uh, it is a very similar story. Uh, this one was written by Mike Kennedy, art by Lucas Morangan, uh, Howard Shum, Dan Jackson, uh, lettered by Steve Dutro. Uh, it starts off with a teaching from Qui-Gon. Obi-Wan asks him, like, which is more acceptable, a no noble act committed for despicable purposes or the reverse, a despicable act committed for noble purposes? How can one be morally justifiable and not the other? We're already asking big questions right off the bat. Uh, Qui-Gon says that his master, Dooku, would argue that the motivation must be weighed against the outcome. Like, to Dooku, the ends can justify the means, like which we see in Attack of the Clones. Like, Dooku's doing some shady stuff, but he thinks that's, like, the Jedi are weak. Like, he's saying, this is how it should be. We should not be tied to the Republic. We should be out for ourselves. Obi-Wan then tells uh, Qui-Gon, I have a feeling Master Yoda would find issue with that theory. And Qui-Gon says, I know for a fact he does. And it's a fun little, they're smiling at each other. The art is particularly fun in this comic. Um, so it's a, a cute little moment between uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, who we see fighting a lot in these comics. Like, they're always having, like, big philosophical debates. It's usually pretty peaceful. Um, the vibe is pretty weird in Master and Apprentice, the, the novel that came out like a couple years ago by Claudia Gray. Like, they had clearly been through some things, and they don't really feel very open with each other. By the end of the book, they get there again. But um, yeah, there's always been conflict between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, and I think that's healthy, but it's good to see little moments of them being happy, especially because we know that uh, this relationship doesn't last forever. Or I guess it does. Like, they find themselves in the, the living force. Uh, in the afterlife, but yeah, like, uh, Qui-Gon's not long for this world, or this galaxy, I should say. On the mission, they, there's a gas planet, so a lot like Bespin, Cloud City, there's a luxury ship that's crashing, but the ship doesn't know that it's crashing, it's like slowly losing altitude and falling into orbit. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan jump into the ship, like break through the windows, and uh, immediately Qui-Gon mind tricks somebody, sends the governor's wife to the pool because she's getting in his way. Yeah, mind tricking everyone. Uh, the captain had no clue that they were even sinking. The Jedi interrogate this rich guy who's smoking recreational Servipierre, which I think is supposed to be space weed. Uh, they learn that there's a bomb somewhere aboard. The governor's wife, we find out, is an eco-terrorist who thinks her husband has committed crimes against nature. The plot thickens. The Jedi play detective, like murder on the Orient Express. Pas passengers evacuate. The governor gets aboard somehow and boasts that he also... Plant, planted a bomb on his wife's escape pod so that she would explode near his plant and he can reap insurance benefits. There's a whole lot of layers to this. There's lots of backstabbing. Obi-Wan's kind of there. Qui-Gon's just there. It's a fun little story. They get to play detective a little bit, but not a lot of consequence, even after that uh, fun opener with the, the big philosophical question. The next story is from the Star Wars mainline comic run that started in 1998, so we've talked about the original Marvel run that started in 77 along with the movie. That one ended at some point and new one started in 1998 just before the prequel trilogy came out. In issue number 41, 
probably this issue probably came out in like 2002-ish. Uh, this one featured Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Uh, this was written by John Ostrander, lettered by Steve Dutro, art by David Fabry, Christian Della Vichia, and Guy Major. Um, there's this Deveronian, so like the devil horn guy. His name is Vili. Uh, he's hired to steal the secret treasure of the Jedi. And his plan is he would marry off one of his cousins to a warrior race called the Yinchori to get them to distract the Jedi, while Bobo, his boss, sneaks in. Bobo looks like Palpatine with a Glock. Um, he's wearing sunglasses, and they are really trying to make him look like Palpatine. Like, he's he's walking on one of Newt Gunray's, like, walking chairs at one point. Um, what you'll get through this whole comic is, like, this Deveronian guy, you can't really trust him, so did this really happen? It sounds like Bobo's Palpatine, but maybe the way that he's describing him isn't the right way, because I can't imagine uh, Palpatine pulling up with a blaster. Also, the Deveronian talks like a caveman this whole time, which is really annoying. I'm glad that when we get a Deveronian in canon, Berg, in The Mandalorian, the big guy voiced by Clancy Brown, he's got horns, and it's like in that Prison Break episode with uh, Bill Burr Mayfeld. Um, I don't think he talked like a caveman. He did like have pretty simple dialogue, but it wasn't like, me no fight Jedi. Like That, that did kind of sound like Mr. Krabs, didn't it? That's Clancy Brown. Um, Oh, who lives in a pineapple under the sea? Davaronian Billy. Oh, who lives in a hut on the dune sea? Obi-Wan Kenobi. The comic then shows the Jedi fighting over whose fault it was that the secret treasure of the Jedi was stolen from their temple. There's the cool art of Mace and, uh, what's that Jedi's name? Like the Molaram from Indiana Jones looking Jedi, Sacy uh, Tin. Uh, they're dueling with lightsabers. Eeth Koth is in the corner crying. Adi Galia or Stas Ali is like socking Yariel Poof in the face. Yoda's biting Plo Koon's ankles and saying, Treasure, my precious. Uh, the Jedi beg our Deveronian friend, like, bring back the treasure. Oh, well, we'll do anything. Uh, we find out that the guy's drunk. He's telling the story at a bar, exaggerating things. But the art is hilarious. You get Yoda, like, acting like a dog, like, with his tongue sticking out, like, panting. Um, of course, biting Plo Koon's leg. It's, it's crazy fun stuff. Then in like the only moment that probably actually happened in this old comic, you have Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. They show up and they capture the Deveronian. Um, and Obi-Wan says, death is what he deserves, master. Uh, and Qui-Gon's like, the body dies, Padawan, for all, for all who live, whether they deserve it or not, it is not for us to judge. Like, what do you, like, we're not just going to kill this guy when we don't have to. They bring the Deveronian to the Jedi Council and Yoda says they should just let him go and watch him see what happens like clearly clearly the deveronian was over uh estimating his importance when he's talking talking it up in the bar um yoda doesn't really give a crap so he did steal something from the temple because the jedi were after him so that part of the story seems true but like was it so important that all the jedi masters were crying probably not uh the deveronian continues to tell his story with how he hunted down bobo when bobo was on vacation um so he, he finds bobo like sitting on it's Palpatine sitting on one of those uh, new gunray chairs. And he's like he's like sipping a cocktail on the beach. Uh, he's got his little treasure box, and he the Deveronian brings like this big like giant pet purple monster thing, and he's like and he has has it eat Bobo. So Bobo's dead uh, again. I don't think this happened because I think that was actually Palpatine, and there's uh, no way that Palpatine would uh, give up a clone body just to get eaten by uh, this Deveronian guy's pet. Um, the Jedi then paid him a lot of money to give the treasure back, 
Uh, and then he bet it all on a Doug Pod racer, probably Sebulba during the Phantom Menace, because that's it's a Qui Gon and Obi Wan story. Of course, we're talking about the Phantom Menace. Uh, the Deveronian then con- continues chatting up the bar about uh, Quinlan Voss, another Jedi from the Clone Wars. It's a guy you can kind of see in the background in the Phantom Menace, and like I think they just reused that concept art. Like I don't think that was supposed to be Quinlan Voss, who would later become a Jedi uh, for, for the Clone Wars, but. Um, he says, yeah, Quinlan Voss, not actually a Jedi. He's been scamming people for money. He stole a lightsaber. I stole a lightsaber from the temple when I was there, and then I gave him this, and we've been scamming people. That's why he was in Mos Espa for The Phantom Menace, um, which is a fun little explanation for why Quinlan Voss was there, but it sounds like this dude's a big liar, so you can take it or leave it, but it made for a fun story. Then we jump back a super long ways. Like, we don't get a Qui-Gon comic for years until 2018 or at least ones that i could find maybe there were others that just weren't on the marvel unlimited app where i do all my searching but uh, in the age of republic series there was a qui-gon Jin story called balance and it was written by jody hauser lettered by travis lantham art by Corey smith walden wong and hava tartaglia qui-gon is protecting the priestess of wood on the planet bryn uh, from industrialists uh, that are taking over her planet they're called the metal clan so it's metal versus wood like industry versus nature uh qui-gon and obi-wan take her to the the city of metal coruscant then she complains like you could just kill the metal clan and qui-gon's like that's not the way of the jedi and she calls him a coward i thought you were great warriors and this kind of strikes qui-gon he goes to talk to yoda (laughs) obi-wan's just going to file a mission report he's barely in this so i don't really know why i'm covering it but um Yoda talks to Qui-Gon. He senses turmoil in him and says, A coward, you are not. Qui-Gon says that's not what he was bothered by. Like, he was bothered by being called a great warrior. Qui-Gon's turmoil is kind of informing Yoda's, Wars not make one great. Like, Qui-Gon doesn't want to be known as a great warrior. He says, Our actions are a reflection of our purpose. Perhaps the Jedi residing in the capital is a problem. We're used as weapons and we're seen as such. I feel like there is... A loss of vision. And Yoda, I feel like Yoda's feeling him here, but he says, On this point, the council would not agree. Um, but imagine Qui-Gon during the Clone Wars. Like, he's talking about before the wars even started. He's saying, like, I feel like the world sees me as a warrior, and that's not what the Jedi should be. Man, he would have he would have not uh, dealt well with the Clone Wars. Uh, maybe he would have joined Dooku. I don't know. Because Dooku always said in, like, Attack of the Clones, like, he's trying to get... Obi-Wan over to his side and he says like yeah your master would have joined me I don't know if he would have but like I could see him walking away from everything and just being like I'm gonna just follow the force and see where that guides me but the pickle of all that is the force would probably take him back into the Clone Wars because that's like where big force events are happening like um I think like the fate of the galaxy is decided by the Clone Wars so why would Qui-Gon not be there like it's just such an awkward position for the Jedi to be in, and it's really a testament to how like great Palpatine's plan was to kind of pit them against uh, the Republic like that. Uh, but that's not the end of this story. We see Qui-Gon just going alone. He kind of lets the Force guide him. He's going to commune with the Force. Um, there's this mysterious planet. Um, it's not considered important enough to have a designation. Like First of all, I'm like, is this Dagobah? Uh, but it looks a lot more lively than Dagobah. It's a lot more bright and comic-y not as dark um but there's an abundance of life 
he finds a dark monument and sits on the throne to meditate. So, like, Qui-Gon is not afraid of the dark side. Like, he walks into, like, a dark side area and just, I'm going to take a seat right here. He sees a vision of many dead Jedi, and then he's consumed by red vines. Not, like, the candy, like, like vines, or they kind of look like blood vessels or veins, and they, like, consume him. And then he wakes up, and he has one thought, like, violence sows the seed of the dark side. Unchecked, the Jedi could become that which we fight against. Back on Coruscant, Qui-Gon returns to the Priestess of Wood and tells her, there are people here from a thousand worlds who can help. The Jedi won't fight, but like, I encourage you to go find people. Like, There's a lot of people that would be sympathetic to you on Coruscant. Then he goes and sits on a bench with Yoda and talks about balance. So it's kind of a cool little comic page where it's just, yeah, Qui-Gon and Yoda sitting on a bench. They disagree about a lot of things, but they, they still are peaceful with each other, and, I don't know, it's just kind of a cool vibe. Like, even if there's someone that you disagree with, like, wholeheartedly, you can still, you know, enjoy their company. Um, reacting to this, especially just Qui-Gon saying, like, it's not the Jedi's place to fight in your war, but there are people here who can help you. That kind of carries through to the Rise of Skywalker. Like, they, they are saved, in, in part, by Rey, a Jedi, fighting the Sith, and conquering um conquering the sith that way i'm all the jedi but there's also like all of the people showing up like just people not a fleet like people just coming to help out and destroy palpatine star destroyers like I, that was probably the most powerful moment in the movie for me um again it did people say it kind of feels like a ripoff of avengers endgame but i think it's way different in that like Avengers Endgame all these people that you know are showing up like all the people that you'd expect to show up are showing up but in The Rise of Skywalker it's like they're not even going to show you who's in those ships they're just people and that's that's what matters they're just people across the galaxy maybe you know them maybe you don't but like the people are fighting to stop evil in the galaxy the world doesn't or the galaxy doesn't rely on the Jedi to fight their wars for them anymore the people are willing to stand up and fight for injustice in the galaxy and i think i've said a couple times that the rise of skywalker is not my favorite movie it grows on me every time i see it but like that's something that like no other star wars movie has really done that like the whole trilogy or the whole like saga started off with anakin saying the biggest problem in this world is that nobody helps each other and that wasn't really that wasn't really uh, shown in the prequel trilogy like it ends up with two brothers fighting to the death then you get the ori original trilogy which of course came first but it's yeah, it's people banding together, the Rebellion, um, and that's what the Rebellion is, just people banding together to stop evil, um, but that's still, like, an organized militia. Like, we didn't get, like, just random people showing up to help until the sequels, at least on a big scale like that. And our last story, which just came out in 2020, is Star Wars Adventures number three, Life Day. Um, this is Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan going to celebrate the Wookiee Life Day on Kashyyyk um, for a lesson in harmony. Uh, these adventures comics are more aimed for kids, but they're still really fun to, to read. I just started getting into them recently. Like when I say I go search for comics, I'm generally looking at the Marvel stuff and old Dark Horse stuff on the Marvel Unlimited app. Uh, but I, I went and bought out some of the collections of Star Wars adventures because they're they're fun. They're they're just lighthearted and they're they're canon. I think you could say if if you care about continuity and stuff. But they're just fun stories all over the timeline. Like. In one book, you might get something from the sequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy. Like, just all your favorite characters not interacting with each other because, like, 
you're not going to have like a sequel character interacting with a prequel character very often unless there's like forcey stuff happening but yeah you're getting stories that I didn't expect to get a Qui-Gon story in this thing. I was just flipping through it, and I'm like, oh, there's Qui-Gon. Uh, but Qui-Gon's telling Obi-Wan all about Life Day. And Obi-Wan says, it sounds like balance, Master. It's like, in a way, the Wookiees are celebrating the Force. Qui-Gon says, the Force is so much more than our connection to it. It's bigger than life, bigger than death, even. Uh, and then Qui-Gon gets hugged by a big Wookiee, uh, Brennan, uh, an old Wookiee friend that he met as a Padawan. They've saved each other's lives multiple times. There's a whole, like... Uh, like Obi-Wan and Anakin thing, like, oh, I've saved your life two times, I've saved your life three times, oh, that business on this planet doesn't count. Like, there's one of those moments with, with Qui-Gon and this Wookiee. Um, and then the Wookiee's like, Belphus has gone missing, uh, we gotta find Belphus. Uh, and then Trandoshans drop from the trees, they're on a hunt, and apparently they like to hunt on Life Day because the Wookiees are defenseless, they're celebrating a holiday, uh, stinky Trandoshans. Uh, these are the Bosk species, the lizard people. Qui-Gon gets captured, but he doesn't really fight his way out he kind of just lets himself get captured because like he wants to go with the Wookiees where the captured Wookiees are going to see if he can help there. Obi-Wan and Bernan team up to get him back. Uh, Qui-Gon mind tricks or tries to mind trick some Trand Trandoshans to let the Wookiees go but it fails somehow. Um, again he's got to go right to the mind trick uh, and then Bernan speaks to Obi in Qui-Gonisms like Obi-Wan keeps calling out like yeah that sounds like something my master would say. Um, so Qui-Gon's got that Wookiee wisdom. That's, he probably hangs out with Wookiees every life day. Um, how else would he know about life debts in The Phantom Menace when he's talking to Boss Nass? Like, yeah, Jar Jar Hero owes me a life debt. Um, I don't know. I think Qui-Gon hangs out on Kashyyyk a lot. Could we get a Qui-Gon and Chewbacca story? You never know. Chewbacca's real old. Obi-Wan then walks to the, the camp where Qui-Gon's being held and he surrenders. And the Trandoshan is saying, like, what are you doing? Uh, well, there's no S's in that, otherwise I would have... What are you doing? Um, then Qui-Gon says, what I must. Like, again, I will do what I must. The Force is calling me here. I want to help these Wookiees escape. That's the right thing to do. Um, but really what he's doing is he's buying time for the Wookiees, the, the, the free Wookiees to surround them. Uh, and then because it's life day, the Wookiees spare the Trandoshans and everyone lives happily ever after. Um, Qui-Gon says he's proud of Obi-Wan for using trickery and misdirection. Um, that's part of why he brought... Uh, him to Kashyyyk for Life Day. He loves the Wookiees. He's been to many Life Days, but no two Life Days are the same. Wookiees love balance, but they also love surprises. And it's probably good training for a Padawan who kind of does things by the book, like Obi-Wan. And that, everyone, was the skinny on the comics for Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. So I've gone through all the comics I could find. Maybe I'll find some more in the next couple months before the Kenobi show. But yeah, those are the comics. So I think next I'll probably cover... Uh, some of the books that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have appeared in together. So uh, there's Cloak of Deception, a Legends novel surrounding an uh, assassination attempt on Chancellor Valorum, and there's the amazing young adult book, uh, Master and Apprentice, written by Claudia Gray, uh, who writes no bad Star Wars books, nothing but bangers. Um, I think there's a little bit in Darth Plagueis. It's not really a Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon-centric book, so I'll probably skip that one, but... Uh, and then there's also like a young reader series that came out like a long time ago. They're really quick reads. There's like 20 of those books though, so I don't know if I'll cover them on the podcast, but I did order a bunch of them. Um, I should be getting those uh, in the next couple weeks, so we'll see. Maybe I'll just read them for fun and kind of recap them uh, later in the year. But um, yeah, that's what you can expect coming up from me. Uh, I think Josie should be on soon to do a sequel to her good doggos of star wars episode with the good kit 
kits. The good cats of Star Wars? The good... The, just the kitties of Star Wars? Maybe that's what we'll call it. The kitties of Star Wars. Uh, because there's the Batman movie, movie coming out this weekend, and Catwoman's a big part of it, um, and she's clearly going to be the star of that Batman movie. So we're going to talk about some cats, um, mostly because there's not a lot of bats to talk about. Uh, we could talk about Chadger fans. Um, that could be fun. But no, we're going to talk about the Kitty Cats, the Loft Cats, the Tuka Cats, the Nexu, all good stuff. Uh, that will be coming in the next couple days. Yeah. Still need a cool catchphrase. Working on that. Stay skinny.